All right, I know you've had communion, but I want you to fess up. How many of you, when it comes to reading a book, you don't start with the first chapter, you go to the end of the book, and you read the last chapter, or you read the last page, fess up. How many of you do that? How many of you, come on now, be honest, all 25 of you, okay? Now, ordinarily, that's a bad idea, and you're high school and your college literature professors will be rolling over in their graves, right? Um, However, when it comes to the book of Acts, it's really a pretty good idea because the very last chapter, the very last verse, the very last word, in fact, when I do this again, I'm going to do it differently, explains the whole purpose of the book. The last word of the entire book of Acts explains the entire purpose of the book of Acts. So here's the very last verse. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The last word in this entire book is the word unhindered. And most Bible teachers believe that the whole purpose of the book of Acts is to show how the Holy Spirit worked in an unhindered manner in the upper room, through the Apostle Paul, through the Apostle Peter, um, through church growth, through church evangelism, church explosion. And so you think about this, that's how we want life to be for us today. We don't want to be hindered. None of us in this room want to have more problems. Who in the room wants to have more problems in their life? Nobody does. We want to live an unhindered life. Nobody wants hindrances at work, hindrances at school, hindrances in a marriage, hindrances in the home with children. Nobody wants to have unhealthy addictions or unhealthy habits. Everybody in the room works really hard at avoiding problems. You don't want more problems. You want less problems in your life. And so the entire book of Acts is how the Holy Spirit began to work through the church and do supernatural things through the church in an unhindered manner. Now, it doesn't mean there weren't obstacles. It doesn't mean there weren't challenges. There's a lot of sinful, stubborn people in all these different churches. Turn to the person to your left and say, you look stubborn. <laughs> Turn to the person on your right and say, you look sinful. I've had... Dozens of people over the years tell me, I'm not going to join the church. It's full of hypocrites. To which my response is, there's always room for one more. (laughs) And, and, And so the church has always had struggles. But even if you like don't believe in Jesus, and you're really not sure why, even while you're here this morning, and you don't believe that he was the Messiah, you you don't believe in the whole resurrection thing, you got to believe in at least two things. There's two things that Jesus said that you've got to at least put, sink your teeth in. One of these is heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my word will never pass away. I think the greatest miracle in the Bible is the Bible. The more you study how the Bible is put together, it is a miracle how this whole Bible fits together. But the one we're going to talk about today is what we talked about, the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And not even the gates of Hades itself will prevail against it. Now just think with me for a minute. Of all the opposition on the outside of the church, 
Right off the bat, when the church began to grow, the Jews had great consternation about this and did everything they could to stamp out Christianity. For the first 300 years that the church was even in existence, the Romans persecuted the Christians. Nero, Caesar, all these people did everything they possibly could to completely stamp it. There was so much pressure on the outside of the church. But also think about the pressure on the inside. Think about the stupid things we did inside the church. The racism, the sexism, the bigotry. Think about the Salem witch hunts, the crusades. One time we'd burn a guy at the stake for believing this about communion. A hundred years later, we'd burn another guy at the stake for believing the same thing that everybody thought was right. I mean, the things that we've done inside the church, and yet there's still a church. There is still the church today. And so all around the world, there are millions and millions of local churches. It is astounding to me that all the pressure on the outside and all the foolishness on the inside, that there's still a church. Well, why should it surprise me? Jesus said, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but not my word. That's why we still have the word. And he said to us, even though the gates of Hades is going to prevail against the church, Jesus said, I am going to build my church. So even if you don't think Jesus is like the Son of God and the Messiah, you have to agree. At least you have to admit what he said would happen is exactly what's taking place today. And so we have all these different churches. And I think one of the jobs of my my job and our elders and a few key staff people, our job is to figure out how we're supposed to do church. Let me give you some examples. There's probably 28 different ways to do church. If you were to go around America and look at all the different types of churches and all the different ways of church, there's probably 25, 28 different ways to do church. Probably 10 of those are okay. Probably 10 of those are pretty good. But how are we supposed to do church? See, I think God's called Cypress Meadows right beside us to do church different than he's called us to do church. I think God called Countryside Baptist Church, great church, to do church differently. How has he called us to do church? And so if we're going to ask you to join the mission of the church, you at least ought to know how we do church and why we do church. Well, let's start with evangelism. I'm looking at the evangelism program. It's you. You are our evangelism program. We don't have some slick evangelism program. It's you. We believe you have your friends, you have the contacts, you have the connections. We believe that you are the one who are involved in families and neighborhoods, and you simply tell people about your church. I like my church. I believe in my church. I think my church is good. I like this cool. It's got a great youth program. You are the evangelism program. And so maybe you don't want the church to grow. You won't get a seat. But if you want the church to continue to grow... The church, you are the evangelism program. Our discipleship program, it's connect groups. Connect groups, connect groups, connect. We have three different connect groups during the year, eight to ten weeks at a time. We are convinced that we will all grow faster praying, studying the scriptures in small groups together. We believe that together, that healthy, positive peer pressure of prayer and scripture together makes us grow faster. I don't know of another church smaller than us or larger than us, 
that has five or six different teaching pastors. We have five or six different teaching pastors at this church, and we're raising up some younger men behind us as well. And, and, and a couple of you have said, you know, if you keep raising up these younger men, they're going to get really good, and they're going to go off and preach somewhere else. <laughs> Am I missing something? I mean, wouldn't that be okay? I mean, it's not about our local church. Come on, man. It's about the kingdom of God, right? I know what you're saying. You love them and you don't want to miss them. I don't either. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than us. I don't know of another church our size, larger or smaller, that has five or six different worship leaders. We have five or six different worship pastors. You don't know from Sunday to Sunday who's going to be up here leading worship, do you? We do. But you don't. And the point of that is this incredibly young, talented group of, of, of young adults, they're phenomenal to, to work with. Our student ministry, it's about ownership because the highest dropout rate in the church is 18 to 26 years of age. And if we can get our students to have ownership, 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 they won't drop out as high. Our young adult ministry, our young adults are just, they're incorporated throughout the entire church. It's just a part of who we are, a part, a part of our church. And our outreach program, there's a lot of great churches around us who are focusing on different problems. We want to be proactive. We don't want to focus on just the problems. We want to see how can we be a proactive church and, re- and not repeat the cycles. And so when it comes to outreach, our goal is not to keep doing some of the things that every other church is doing. Our goal is to figure out how can we get ahead and be proactive and break the cycle. And so we're, we're excited about what God's called us to do. And I want you to know who we are, what we do, and why we do it. Because the Holy Spirit is going to work in all these different local churches a little bit differently. And that's not only okay, that's His thumbprint. That's the Heavenly Father's fingerprint on how to make all these needs to be met within the communities. So, as the Holy Spirit works in an unhindered fashion, there's three different steps. There's three different stages for your life. This is where you come into play. And so I want to talk about three different stages today of growth. And each stage is a little bit deeper. Each stage, you're going a little deeper into into the pool. Now, first of all, maybe, again, some of you don't want to come to Christ. Maybe some of you don't want to be in the church. That would be Saul of Tarsus. In the book of Acts, Saul's conversion is, is shared three different times. Saul had no interest at all in becoming a Christian, and God literally knocked him off his horse with a bright light. I think if you're fighting against Christianity right now, God is going to get your attention. Probably not going to knock you off a horse, but he will somehow get your attention. But for those of you that want to grow deeper, here are the three different stages. Stage number one. Let's go to Acts chapter 22, and we'll start with Acts 2.2. Here we are. Who are you, Lord? I ask. This is, again, Saul of Tarsus. He was fighting, rebelling against God, actually persecuting Christians. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I ask? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. 
And at that very moment, I was able to see. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be witnesses to all people of what you've seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Here's stage one. Here's the very first place that a believer needs to begin. Stage one is, Jesus is all, everything that I need. You see, what Saul needed and what you and I need before we come to Christ is we need Christ. Now, why do we need Christ? Because we need a Savior. We need saving. We need saving from our sins and be saved for the kingdom of God. Now, now, maybe you think you need a job, and today maybe you do need a job. Maybe you think today you need a date, and maybe you do need a date. We can have all the single people stand up right now and kind of make this happen, okay? <laughs> we, we, we can do that if we need to. But, but it's not that you don't need these things. You have great needs, but what he's saying is, Jesus is everything that I need. What I need more than anything else is I need forgiveness. I need salvation. I need to be cleansed of my sins. And so Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, recognized that stage one was I need Jesus. I need saving. Now, for a lot of you, that's as far as you're going to go in Christianity. I'm just going to shoot it to you straight. It's better to be in that stage than to be on the outside, right? But for some of you in this room, that may be as far as you want to go. That may be as far as you think you need to go, or maybe you just don't know kind of quite how to go further. So we're going to continue to see if you're interested in going to stage two, also in Acts chapter 22. Here we go. When I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, I want you to go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is stage two. Here's a Jewish guy who loves Jewish people, wants to be with the Jewish people, and now God is asking him to go to the Gentiles. Stage one, Jesus is everything that I need. But stage two, Jesus is everything that I trust. It's altogether different. This is much bigger. This is much larger. You see, I need saving. That's still about me. Stage two is not so much about you. Stage two is about who you will put your trust in and who can have their trust in you. Let me just ask you this question. Do you trust Jesus? Do you, do you trust that the Father has your best interests in mind? Do you, do you really believe that if you pray and you pause and you listen and you hear that unhindered Holy Spirit, do you believe that He has your best interests in mind? That He will provide for you? He will protect you? He will make a clear path for you? Do you believe that if you ask Him, and you're a lady, and you're dating some guy, and, 
and, and the guy's a bum or whatever, and the Holy Spirit's telling you to run, run. <laughs> Do you believe the Holy Spirit's going to take care of you? You're lonely. Or, or you're a guy, and you're dating some girl, and she's like, you know, Beelzebub or, you know, whoever or whatever, and, and the Holy Spirit's telling you to run. I mean, but you're lonely. Do you believe he's going to provide for you and take care of you? Do you believe that your Heavenly Father has the best interest of your children in mind? Do you have to control your kids' destiny and future? Or do you believe the Heavenly Father will control their destiny and their future? I remember when I was 28 years old and just became the pastor of a church in Memphis, senior, senior pastor. Nobody should be a senior pastor at 28. I'm, not, I'm serious. You need to be at least 90 before you should be a senior pastor. And I remember on Mondays, I would sit at this desk trying to prepare a sermon for the next week, and I would sit there for almost two hours. And I'm going, he's not going to provide. He's not going to give me a fresh word. He's not, I'm going to have nothing to say next. I'm going to look like a real idiot, more so than normal. I mean, it's just going to be really bad. And then about once a month, I would have this dream on Saturday night. And the dream would be that I went to church without my clothes. So there I am in this dream with nothing to say in my boxer shorts on a Sunday morning. Very intimidating. It's just like, God, are you going to provide for me? Are you going to take care of us? I remember about the first 10 or 12 years as a senior pastor, I really was like charging ahead and moving ahead. And, you know, I wasn't asking God what he wanted to do with his church. I was just saying, get on board with me, God. And finally God's going, it's not how this is going to work, son. You're going to get on board with me. I'm going to break you eventually. I'm going to break you. Do you trust him? Oh, Jesus is everything that you need. There's no question about that. You need him. I need him. I need saving. I need a savior. I need forgiveness. But when he becomes everything that I trust, well, there's life and peace. There's joy. I'm not controlling everything and everybody. And life just goes a whole lot better. Well, there's a third stage if you're interested. This one's even deeper. This is in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, here's what he says. Once we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who keep telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I think that's funny. It says that he became so annoyed. Anybody in your life that's annoying? <laughs> Hopefully not the person next to you. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates, and they said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. 
when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, the next verse is the key. The next verse is it. Look at verse 25. All that's taken place. They got flogged. They got beaten. They got seized. They got dragged. They got tortured. About midnight, though, what are they doing? They're praying. And they're singing. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but that's where I want to be. You see, stage number three is Jesus is not everything that I need. He's not everything that I trust. Stage number three is he's everything that I want. He's everything that I want. So what does this mean? This means in your life, you still got to go to school. You still got to go to work. You still got to get an airplane tomorrow and fly to New Jersey. You still got to mow the lawn. You still have to, you know, feed the kids. You still got to do life. But when Jesus is everything that I want, it's like I wake up and I do my life and I do my work and I do my thing through the lenses of I'm yours. I am your man. I am your woman. You're all that I want. I want to drink from your well. I've been coming like to a water little station. I want a fire hose of your spirit. I want more of you in my life. And when Jesus is everything that you want, everything's okay no matter what happens. When he's all that you want, everything in your life will fall into great place no matter the circumstances. And so here's the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts to so resonate inside of you that every day you live your life for him and with him. I hope you get there. I hope I get there. You look at Mary and Martha. I think think Mary got there. She was just sitting at Jesus' feet. I don't think Martha ever got there. She was worried about the forks and the napkins and the iced tea. Martha didn't get there. Saul and Solomon, the kings, they never got there. But David got there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not. I got everything that I need. He, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. David got there. Peter got there. Not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. He didn't get there. But Peter got there in the book of Acts. And Peter got there in, the, in his books of First and Second Peter as he wrote those books. I hope you get there. It's a great place to be. Paul got there. Listen to what Paul says in, Roman, in, in um, Philippians chapter 3. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Jesus is everything he wants. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. Not that I've already obtained all this or already arrived at all this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. He got there. In your bulletin, we've got some applications for membership. I like to use the word, join the mission of the church. And if you'd like to fill this out right now, I'm going to tell a story for a couple of minutes. I'm going to read us a story. It's just an incredible, powerful story at the end. If you didn't get one of these cards and you want to just raise your hand, if you don't have a bulletin, we'll get you one. We just want you to become a Christian. 
to be a member of our church and be a member of the mission of this church, there's two things that are very important to us. One of those, just raise your hand if you want a card. One of those is, is that you've given your life to Christ. That's essential to become a Christian. And then we really believe that it's important for you to be baptized by immersion. And maybe you've just done that, or maybe you did it years ago. And so if you haven't done that, take the card, fill it out, hold on to it. And we've got our other beach baptism coming up, April, I'm sorry, August, August, April will have one too, but August the 14th. And so August the 14th, we'll have another baptism. Guy came up to me after first service right over here. He and his brother wanted to join. They've never been baptized. Do I have to wait till August the 14th? I said, absolutely not. I said, you can be baptized this morning. You can be baptized next week. We baptize people all, all the time around here. That, that's important to us. So if you would, fill those out. And in just a few minutes, we'll put them in a basket somewhere here in the worship center. Greg Boyd is a theological professor, and his dad was not a believer for years. His dad was just a hard-charging, um, just a rationalist, just a, an atheist, really. And so Greg Boyd decided that before his dad died, he would invite his dad to ask questions. And so the dad would fire off a question, and then Greg Boyd would respond, and he would answer it. It's in a book called Letters to a Skeptic. And so he wrote letters, the son wrote letters to the father. Well, the father did become a Christian at the very end of his life. And here's kind of the story that Greg Boyd, the son, tells about his father, Ed. While I was overwhelmed with joy by my father's decision to accept Christ, I wasn't very optimistic about much transformation would take place. He was 73 years old, much older than most people who came to Christ. My pessimism couldn't have been more misplaced. And it is difficult to exaggerate just how profound the Holy Spirit's transformation of my life, of my father's life was during these last 11 years. One dramatic change was my father's emotional tenderness. The pre-Christian Ed Boyd was rarely expressed his emotions, and certainly not in public. But the Christian Ed Boyd became a man who wore his heart on his sleeve, My father literally wept every time he heard of a person coming to Christ through our correspondence, through our book, Letters to a Skeptic. And over the course of the 11 years of his life, he heard this story hundreds of times. My father's faith was marked by dramatic change. From our correspondence, it was clear that faith didn't come easy for my dad, Ed. Though he was thoroughly convinced of the truth of the gospel, I anticipated continually having to help this incurable, rationalistic mind remain stable in his faith. This wasn't the case. Almost immediately after his conversion, my father seemed to rest in the profound and beautiful childlike faith. Once while visiting my father in a hospital after his third stroke left him nearly paralyzed, I told him I wanted permission for him for the most important task I could ever give someone. So I was clearly going to have a lot of time... He was going to have a lot of time on his hands as he recovered. I asked him to be my personal, full-time prayer warrior. I explained that throughout each and every day, he needed to pray for me, my family, and my ministry. And to my surprise, Dad hesitated for a moment with a concerned look on his face. Then in a very stroke-impaired speech, he asked me, do prayers that I think count as much as prayers that I vocalize. It's a lot of work for me to say much of anything these days. I choked up at the recognition 
that this once arrogant intellectual giant was expressing such simple questions about God. I assured him that God knew his thoughts without him having to say them out loud. He gave me a crooked smile as he muttered, Okay then, boy, I'm your guy. The most profound change in Dad's post-conversion life was just his general disposition. The pre-Christian Ed Boyd usually was contentious and ill-tempered. More often than not, he was angry about something and very vocal about it. But soon after his surrender to Christ, Ed Boyd acquired a profound peace, a pervasive sweetness, and most remarkably, an amazing sense of gratitude. I never saw this prior to his conversion. What made his transformation more remarkable was that soon after he committed his life to Christ, my father was given more reasons to complain than he ever dreamed. One year after his conversion, my father suffered the first of several strokes. Over the years, he lost most of his physical abilities and all of his verbal, nearly all of his verbal skills. Eventually, this once fiercely independent man was unable to care for himself and confined to a wheelchair. By the age of 80, he was almost completely blind and deaf. The pre-Christian Ed Boyd would have had, never have had would have been positively miserable, yet the Christian Ed Boyd rarely complained. While it sounds odd, the worse things got for my father, the more grateful he became. Before his final stroke left him in a coma, I was with my father when he began to weep for no apparent reason. Shouting into his hearing aid, I requested an explanation for all of his tears. His response floored me. Sitting in a wheelchair, wearing diapers, unable to do anything but the most elementary tasks by himself, nearly blind and deaf, this once malcontented man said in his stroke-impaired speech, because I feel so blessed by God just to be here. I embraced him tightly for a long moment as we both wept. As a witness to the unfathomable love and power of God, this man was definitely not the same father I grew up with. At the end of our visit, I kissed my feeble father goodbye and said to him, Dad, spend time dreaming about heaven. Just enjoy imagining what it will be like. He smiled and simply said, yeah, boy. It was our last conversation. Two weeks later, he fell into a coma, and a massive stroke caused his brain to hemorrhage. He passed away three weeks later. One of my greatest joys is knowing My dad's dreams of heaven have now come true. I envision him in the presence of Christ, dancing with absolute abandon and shouting for joy at the full realization of God's deep love for him. My friends, your heavenly father is crazy about you. He loves you. Zephaniah 3.17 says he sings over you. I don't know what he sings, but it's probably pretty good. Jesus, I hope you get to stage one. Stage one, if you're not a Christian, I hope you get there. Stage one is Jesus is everything I need. And then after a while, I hope you, hope you get to that, that part about trust. Because his unhindered spirit's going to speak to you and, and whisper to you, and he's going to guide you, and he, he's going to direct you. 
And that's just such a white-knuckle experience. That's the joy of the Christian life. Everybody needs fire insurance. That's great. But it's so much better to get, on, get in on the, the flow of what he's doing. And then I really hope that we all get to the point where every day we just wake up. Like, I go to work today. I go to school today. But what do you want me to do today? What, what do you have in store for me today? And in an unhindered fashion, Heavenly Father can use you and can use me in ways that are so unhindered that we could never dream or we could never imagine. And so step one today, I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front. I'm going to ask you to stand at this point, if you would, everybody. But step one is giving your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been stuck there for quite some time, and you would like a prayer partner to pray for you and pray over you today that you will trust him. Maybe you've got a big decision, and you need to be able to trust your Heavenly Father. Or maybe you want to get there to that third stage. You want him to be everything that you want in life. If you would like to join the mission of Harborside Christian Church, if you would fill this out, we're going to have people at these different doors. They're going to come right now to these doors, and there's baskets. And if you would, just find somebody with probably a We Believe shirt on and just drop this in one of those baskets at this time, and um, we'll, we'll sign you up. We'd love to have us all do this together. This is who we are. We're family. And the power of working together is so much stronger than just working alone. We believe that we can make a difference. We believe the church is the hope of the world. And we believe there's no limit to what God can do through all of us when we work together. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we worship you today. In your great name, Jesus.